Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hoi Chen Bui. I'm a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today is a very, very special episode, guys, because the three of us are in one room, finally, <laughs> for the first time in All like together. three years. Yay! And the first time we're recording an episode together in the room. Uh, it's great. Um, Anya's in town to, to actually go see Hamilton in New York, so she, she decided to have the weekend in D.C., and so she was staying at HT's place, and we've been having a lot of fun. We saw the documentary Wiener. So great, guys. Everyone go see it, please. It's a little more heartbreaking than I expected it to be, but it is still pretty hilarious. Yeah, and if you're like me and you, like, idolized Anthony Wiener when you were younger and he was, like, an influential figure for you, it's, like, even more heartbreaking. Actually, watching it next to Anya, I got more of an emotional experience. <laughs> yeah, I was same. Like, every time there was, like, a parade or he had a really great speech and Anya would just, like, start getting, like, tearing, <laughs> not tearing up a little bit, but I could see her face just, like, going through this really roller coaster of emotion. I'd be like, oh, Anya, you're like okay. You were, like, reliving everything. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was. Yeah. It was a very, like, pivotal time for me. Mm-hmm. So we've been also one of our goals was to watch movies that that, that are like two of our favorite movies that um, the other two people haven't seen so we've been doing that all weekend too so we've watched like four or five different movies right now it's been really great yeah we didn't actually get through all the movies we intended to see but we got through, we got through a, a good, good chunk a good, a good two thirds yeah um, we saw the two uh, prime examples are The Fall and uh, Three Musketeers both Anya's picks mm-hmm. yes um, the Three Musketeers is like amazing like <laughs> I don't even know like it was just like it's so everyone chews so much scenery that by the end of it there's barely anything left on screen the but it's so so good like Tim Curry is like yep. the best and that's the swashbuckling romance adventures that I talked about a couple weeks ago yeah. yes. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did actually and I totally bought all the American accents as well which were very anachronistic but I didn't really care because they're in France who cares yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, oh, we, French people. And HD and I were trying to rationalize like why they would have American accents like in context yeah. of the film I had a whole theory about sort of like the division between the plebeians versus the elites and like the musketeers because they were part of this rebel like rebellious alliance re- rebellious ah. alliance <laughs> ah. versus this evil empire versus this evil empire you know they had american accents Monarchy. you know to go with their whole scrappy ne'er-do-well sort of um attitudes they, so. yeah they were pretty young scrappy and hungry too mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and yeah. then i ruined that by just saying that maybe hollywood just doesn't care it's Oops. true also true. <laughs> um so we've been hanging out all weekend, and it's been a lot of fun. And now on Sunday, we're here recording our episode for the week, which is great because we decided to make this topic very um, topical about us meeting each other in 70s classroom. Um, yeah. Well, not in a 70s class. <laughs> no, in Hollywood <laughs> in the 70s class. Yeah. Um, um, if you guys remember uh, when we were talking about how we all met, we met in um, a class called Hollywood in the 70s taught by Professor Eric Dusser. Shout out to Dusser. He's the best. Yes, yes, very much. He's the one who brought us all together, really. Like, not intentionally, but we, like, took the class all together. We sat next to each other and thus began a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Um, and we're right now actually recording it in the classroom where we all met. So yeah. this is... We've had a really emotional experience just now. Most of it spent actually just taking pictures of ourselves. Taking selfies in the classroom. <laughs> it's, been great. it's really funny because like, I feel like the way we all talk and interact, it, people would assume that we had been friends all throughout college and we were like great college friends. But we actually 
our Hollywood and 70s class was my last year at AU and it was fall semester so we met fall semester my last year and then we kind of saw each other around spring semester but we never really hung out properly like we just bonded really tightly in that one class and that that like bora the friendship that we have now yeah. yeah and we continue most of our friendship through uh social media such as tumblr and twitter and we just kind of text it a lot yes. so it's kind of great how you can just maintain friendships despite not really hanging out with each other in person because when we were hanging out uh this past couple pa- past couple days in person i was just like this feels right. Like, yeah. Well, we said that before. Yeah, we were talking about Anya and I were in the metro, and we were just like, this feels normal. Like mm-hmm. we're, this, it's like back, like, like it's like she never left mm-hmm. DC, which is good. There's so. a little part of me that wish I had. I really miss DC, you guys. Like being back here, I love this city a lot. We, we miss you, Anya. Yeah. Aw, so I'm, we're we're glad you're here for the weekend. <laughs> um. So I guess, yeah. So we met in Hollywood in the '70s class. So, which is basically, for those of you listening at home who may not know, the 70s are a big time for American cinema. It's called New Hollywood. Um, It basically begins with The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde. Um, And they basically broke down the Hays Code. They were a little bit more cynical, violent, a little bit more, you know, more modern than the movies that had been coming before it, like Dr. Doolittle and all that. Um, And so with those two movies kind of kicked off this small revolution in Hollywood cinema Mm -hmm. to start, you know, we get Scorsese films, we got um, Brian De Palma, we get uh, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, George Lucas, like all these guys are coming in doing their, like, they're coming out of film school. They're, these are like their first films. They're kind of rough. They're kind of, you know, rough. Yeah. They're rough around their edges. (coughs) Um, But they've still like taxi drivers, a good example of like, a great movie in the seventies. My brain just caught up with me. Did you just Doctor Doolittle? I did. It came out. It came out the same year as The Graduate. <laughs> what? It did. Not, not the Eddie Murphy one. The original. Well, of course one. not. Right. Of course not. But okay. So now that for some reason, for no reason whatsoever, a part of nothing, I'm now thinking of Dudley Do Right with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you said Dr. Doolittle, and then I, I was listening to you, obviously, but then I was like, Dr. Doolittle, Doolittle. Dudley Do-Right. Dudley Do-Right. Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, so yes, yeah. all of this about New Hollywood, which is yeah. all accurate. Um, yeah, it was a very pivotal time um, for the for the movie studio system, because before New Hollywood emerged, you, you have what, you, what is known as the ho- old classic Hollywood and slash the studio system, where movies were basically churned out of studios and um, there wasn't a lot of auteurism done. Like most movies were owned by the studios and the stories were kind of churned out like a machine, basically. Um, You had some really great films from the classic Hollywood, but um, they kind of followed their own the same template over and over again. And there were sort of some, like, directors who could probably fit the auteur theory now, Mm -hmm. but that theory didn't exist Mm -hmm. back then. Uh, That was created uh, by French filmmakers. In the the 60s. In the 60s. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so, you know, in the studio system, we had people who probably would have been auteurs to them, but Mm -hmm. they just hadn't had that term yet. So, like, Frank Capra, I would consider an auteur. Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder, Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Definitely existed, but not quite the same way. And they all had to follow the Hayes Code, mm-hmm. yeah. which was the production code for studios, which basically kind of... Made every movie G. Yeah. It was a very strict censorship code. It was kind of part of this um, moral panic 
in the 50s a little, a little earlier than that it started in like the 30s basically um before the Hayes code there was basically no censorship for movies and they were very lurid and dealt with a lot of like gangster films and that, those kind of things that you would not see during the 30s through the 60s um but then they kind of established this sort of um these guidelines for these films uh, that you couldn't have, for example, a protagonist commit a murder without being punished in some way, not just punished in the story by like being put in prison or something like that, but punished um, metaphorically. So if someone accident, someone killed someone, um, they would be, they would die at the end or like they would be thrown off a train or something, or it was like an accident to mm-hmm. um, absolve them of their crimes, basically. Everyone got their comeuppance mm-hmm. and everything, if it was a comedy, everything ended in, in a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so 70s kind of bucked all that. The Hayes Code was gone, and they could be as cynical and as gritty as they wanted. Which is really funny, considering that a lot of filmmakers in the 70s were making films because they were influenced by European cinema in the 60s, mm-hmm. which in turn was influenced by American cinema in the 40s and 50s, yeah. like uh, noir. And mm-hmm. we should notice that note that New Hollywood didn't actually last very long, because we talk about the 70s, but if you look, you know, kind of you hit the halfway mark in the decade, and block Blockbusters started to make their appearance because, like, end of the seventies, you get Jaws, you get Star Wars, you get the first. Wait, no, was Superman seventies or eighties? Superman's was seventies. Seventies, seventies. So, like, uh, you know, latter half of the seventies, we start getting into back more to conservative, wholesome, good guy blockbusters, and New Hollywood is pretty much over. There were still some um, darker movies in the late seventies, like the um, like a lot of movies were coming out after the Vietnam War about the Vietnam War. Um, even though, like, but I mean, when did Apocalypse Now come out? Like seventy four, seventy five. See, mm. so still, like, you get the to the mid- latter, you get to the latter half of the seventies, mm. and it's New Hollywood's done. Yeah, um, so it didn't last that long. Didn't last long, but it made it a did, big impact. It made a huge impact. It, it, I mean, yeah, it lasted at, at least a good eight years mm. um, between like the late sixties or like into the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much different content flowing out of the seventies as well. It wasn't just like women gritty, you know, taxi driver type of violent movies. You had conspiracy movies, you had black quotation, you had kung fu movies, you had um, a lot of movies about media and like the changing industry there. Network. Network. Um, So I think we should start kind of delving right into um, a movie that really bonded us that actually is nothing at all like New Hollywood movies because it came before New Hollywood. We Mm -hmm. watched it in our class. Um, so our professor could show us what a conspiracy movie was like before New Hollywood and then sort of But it was also like a parody of a conspiracy film. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but it was definitely a bit more. It came out in the late 60s, mm-hmm. um, and that is called The President's Analyst. Yeah, for those of you who were who have been wondering about our cover photos on both Facebook and Twitter, that is actually a screenshot from The President's Analyst. Uh, it's a very absurd sort of satirical conspiracy film um, that is all sorts of ridiculous and campy, but it's just, we we loved it for those reasons, basically. The second we saw it, like, we were watching it, and we were just, like... We <laughs> fell in love with the film. Yeah, like, our yeah. eyes were as big as saucers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just so great because there's just that weird musical cue whenever something conspiratorial happens, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, the main character will look around, and suddenly the music is just like... It's the best. It's so good. Um, so, and that movie was kind of like before the 70s, and it was about conspiracy films, but as you, 
as you know, like some of the great conspiracy films of, of the 70s, um, one of them being like All the President's Men, which dealt very closely with American politics, with mm-hmm. the um, Watergate scandal. Like, and the way they, they made that film, it was very much, I mean, it was about journalism, but there was also like a, a deeper conspiracy around it. So it was like, it almost became like, a, it was a thriller and, you know, the parking lots and Deep Throat and Robert Redford on a phone for eight minutes. So it was, it's a great movie. It became a pop culture moment. Yeah. Like, even if you haven't seen uh, All the President's Men, you know about Deep Throat. You know about yeah. Watergate. It's why we use gate at the end of every scandal that happens. I'm using a scandal in air quotes, by the way, because yeah. <laughs> we often know. For those of you who can't see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the President's Analyst was nothing at all like it. It was mm-hmm. a parody of it, and it was so over the top absurd. Basically, the main character is uh, played by. Oh no, he's one of my favorite actors. I love him. He's in The Great Escape, and he's in The Magnificent Seven. Well, I am looking this up. I want to, like, figure it out. There's a B in there somewhere. I know there's a B. Watch if there's, like, a Z and it's not a B. All right. Do you want me to tell you? Um, mm, wait, wait, it's, tell me. James Coburn. 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 Well, that's a bright, there's a B. Coburn. Coburn. James Coburn, who's super great, um, He's the character who brings a knife to a gunfight in The Magnificent Seven. It's like the best scene in that entire movie. Um, so he plays the main character who is hired uh, to be the kind of the analyst, the president's analyst. Mm-hmm. The therapist. Yeah. Um, to come down there and help the president out. And so he moves down to D.C. from New York. And as he's there, he gets entangled in this giant conspiracy Involving the telephone company. The phone company. The phone company. And he, like, goes to, like, a hippie camp, and he's on a yacht at he some point. He meets William Daniels and his family. William Daniels, for those of you men I know, is Mr. Feeney. He was, he was basically in every 70s film. He was the father and the graduate. Father and the graduate. He was in 1776 as John Adams, like, which is why they named John Adams High School in Boy Meets World. Um, because he I played John Adams. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this whole ridiculous, absurd movie. It goes in places that you definitely do not expect. No. It has lots of um, shades of a Monty Python movie, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, like, one absurd turn leads to another even more absurd turn. Like, he meets, for example, a suburban family and takes refuge with them. But then it turns out they're all a bunch of spies and they yeah. start wielding That's guns. That's William Daniels' family. Yeah. yeah it's mm-hmm. hilarious. So that's kind of a movie we really bonded over, and that's why it's our cover photo. Um, and we watched it in this class, so we wanted to kind of explain that a bit, talk about our love for it. You guys should all go watch it if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It might be a bit hard to find, though. If you have a premium, if you have like all the premium channels on like like Xfinity or Verizon, it's on like streaming on demand. Like if you look for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it's um, really great. Yeah, and so it's like, what are you, what are your guys' favorite '70s films? Do mm. a round table sort of yeah. talk real yeah. quick. talk for a little bit, HT? Oh, uh, okay. I guess I'm going first. Um, I really liked Taxi Driver. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did because it was, again, a mo- movie so well-known in like, the pop culture pantheon. But it really shocked me still, despite being 30, 40 years old almost. And I was just so blown away and just kind of riveted by this storyline of this man who's like on the edge of mental instability and kind of like his whole interpretation of of like the underbelly of society and stuff and kind of like how he takes that into account and like he's an anti-hero in the pure sense of the word at first you think that you're supposed to sympathize with him but then you realize that he's so unstable this is Travis Pickle by the way who uh, Robert De Niro plays um he's realized he's so unstable that anything that he does in this film is not actually, it's pretty deplorable. 
it's not something that you can forgive. So despite him being painted as the hero, you're kind of like, and like having that almost romantic edge to him, you kind of realize that he is, he's a terrible person basically. Um, and I like that. I feel like that is very indicative of a lot of 70s movies. It kind of subverts whatever expectations you have of the story or where the characters will go. And it will basically try to make you as discomforted as possible. Um, and a lot of 70s movies will do that. Um, Bonnie and Clyde is another great example, one of my favorites as well, um, which ha portray like this really sort of glamorous um, depiction of the of Bonnie and Clyde, these two rob big robbers who go around shooting up banks and, you know, having being an on the run lifestyle. But it's still like it's. It's like this rotting undercurrent beneath this really glamorous facade. It's also a great musical. I there have not go. seen the musical. Bonnie and Clyde, original cast is Jeremy Jordan, who's on Supergirl right now playing Wynn, and oh. Laura Osnes. It's really, oh. it's a really fun musical. I should watch is that. Is it like based or, I mean, is it just based on the story? Is it like an yeah, it's adaptation? it's Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's their story. Yeah, I, I have a lot of favorites, honestly. I really loved All the President's Men. Um, it's one of the best. It's one of the best films I've seen. It's one of it's definitely the best journalism film. Of, I don't know. Spotlight. I know Spotlight was pretty good, but I don't think it can live up to all the President's Men. See, I don't know. I don't know if I agree so with that. Good. I mean, I agree. Yeah. All President's Men is one of my favorite seventies movies of all time. Mm -hmm. I think we have to like distance ourselves from Spotlight in time at some point to, to kind of judge it because it just came out. Because mm -hmm. like all the President's Men has become one of the most iconic seventies films of all time. I mean, not even just because like oh, it's iconic because it's known as iconic, but I really loved just like the it's cinematography. Brilliant. It's just like it's so it's so like stunning and just really well done. I think there's room for both. There's room for both. I won't say that. I think I'm not gonna, pretty close to a I'm not film. taking down Spotlight because <laughs> I think that All President Ben is the best journalism movie. I think there's room for both. But speaking of conspiracy films, Parallax View. Because I remember watching like All the President's Men and it's so great and the conspiracy done so well. Mm -hmm. And then we watched the Parallax View in class, which is another big conspiracy film. Did not like it. I do not like the Parallax View. So what do you think of the difference between the two of them and I, how they do their conspiracy? And Well, I thought the Parallax View um, intentionally left you with with questions. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of open-ended like threads like that were just left off, and it was kind of meant to frustrate you in a way. Whereas we know what happens at the end of All the President's Men. In the end, there is basically a happy ending. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's been shown in history, but... Um, Despite, like, you know, a lot of 70s movies not actually having, having happy endings, um, All the President's Men kind of bucks that and kind of <laughs> goes with the, the uh, traditional Hollywood happy ending. Um, Parallax View is frustrating, and I did not like that, and I can understand what it was going for, but I did not enjoy watching it. Um, I just didn't, when I watched it, it just seemed a little bit, it was too confusing for me. Yeah, it's so complicated, like, overly complicated. It's one of those movies where, like, I kind of hate when, like, screenwriters treat their audience like they're dumb mm. and oversimplify things. But on the other hand, if your script is getting out of, like, if it's getting away from you and it's, it's making no sense, that's also not good. You can't yeah. be at either of the extremes. Yeah, I get angered, actually, when screenwriters throw so much random shit at you just like to make you think, make you think that they're smarter than they are. Yeah. But honestly, they don't, they don't even know what they're writing sometimes. Yeah. So, I can't even tell you what the Parallax View plot is. I can't. I just remember the end was super open-ended and I was so frustrated. I'm, wasn't there like a dam at some point? Uh, 
Yeah, sort of. There was a st- there was he was up in the in like an air duct at some point, I think. I remember the end was like culminated in this big battle, like this big gunfight yeah. on top of yeah, like an air duct or something, like some sort of like overhanging yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a catwalk over. How much we really like the parallax. Yeah. yeah. But there are a lot of great movies that that are um conspiracy films that end up in um influencing later films later on down the road. Like for example, the best Marvel movie ever made, Captain America Winter Soldier, which is based around these 70s type uh, conspiracy theories. And also uh, starred Robert Redford. Robert, Robert Redford. Redford. So these movies have big influence over mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood today. So Anya, do you have any favorite movies from the 70s? I do have some favorites. Um, I... I go, I really love 70s films, um, but I can also grow very weary of them pretty quickly. Um, you guys will know I'm pretty much the opposite of a cynic. Mm-hmm. And so some of the films in the 70s are just a little bit too much for me. Um, I can appreciate them artistically, critically, um, cinematography and all that stuff. But some of them are just not great for me. Uh, we watched Cruising <laughs> in our class, which is a uh, film starring Al Pacino. We watched it instead of Dog Day Afternoon, and there's a part of me that wishes we hadn't, but then I'm also glad that I've seen Cruising now, and I think Cruising is probably one of the worst films I've seen in my entire life. I hate that film a lot, Um, mostly from, like, a moral standpoint, because it's extremely homophobic and awful. Um, Uh, Cruising, for those who don't know, because it's a very, fairly unknown Al Pacino film. Uh, it's about a cop who goes to investigate this serial killer who is killing um, gay men out of a club. Like, he will go take them home, and then he will, like, I think strangle them or something? He'll kill them in multiple ways. He'll kill them in multiple ways. Um, and he goes undercover, basically, to these gay clubs. And, like, um, it's it's very, has, like, this very BDSM sort of leather kinky uh, vibe to it. And it kind of shows these um, these situations and like these uh, these places as being very seedy again. Um, yeah, like Anya said, not the greatest depiction of um, the gay community. Also, I mean, at the same time in the 70s, those were the only places they could go. So it is a bit difficult um, in the context, like the, the historical context. But um, yes, I mean, yes and no for mm-hmm. me. I mean, they're movies. Hollywood mm-hmm. can do whatever they want. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so, yeah, so, like, 70s can sometimes be a little too much for me. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's like The Graduate. I I like that film objectively, but I don't find it the most enjoyable film to watch. Um, Dustin Hoffman's really good in it, but I just kind of get frustrated. Um, and I remember we had a big debate in class about the ending of that film. And oh, I feel like yeah. I feel like there's only one way to interpret the ending of that film. It's unhappy. Yeah. yeah. They're not happy. No. Yeah. Like they're not they they made a mistake running away together. Yeah. But we had a big debate. There are people in our class who thought, like, oh, like, they're happy, they're gonna like bust no. the trend to their parents. And I'm like, no, they're becoming their parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite endings, actually. I think it's a great ending. It's a great ending because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh. They, there's that stunning realization of what they just did. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a reason they have a long take of just their their faces at the end on the buses as they're you know 
spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen The Graduate, after they flee um, Elaine's wedding and like they're on the bus running away, and there's just like a t- long take of their faces as they kind of settle in and just yeah. like, realize what they've done. Um, and it's kind of like they are destined for another unhappy fate, just like their parents. Yeah. One of them is going to be like drinking lots of booze. One of them will have, be having affairs. It's those kind of things. Yeah, but it's a, I mean, it's a really great film. Like, it's a gorgeous film, that scene where he goes into the pool. Mm-hmm. And like and that the, and the, yeah, that is such a great moment. With William Daniels. Uh, With William Daniels. It's also one of my favorite openings um, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in terms of like, not to just say like, oh, I hate all these 70s films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't. I just, I... I have a tumultuous relationship with them sometimes. Um, I tend to like the more, I think, stylized and bigger 70s films. Mm. So I love Apocalypse Now. I think that's by far one of my favorite. I was actually not a fan of Apocalypse See, Now. See, I loved Apocalypse Now. I hate Heart of Darkness. I, was, I think it's, The book is yeah. awful. I think it's like my hatred of Heart of Darkness. It was the one book. I always read every book that was assigned to me in English class. Yep. Heart of Darkness was the only one I couldn't make it through. Yep. It is the smallest book ever, but I know, it's just it's like, so it awful. frustrated me so much. It's like the colonialism and everything like that. Well, it's also so densely it's written. It's very densely written. I just like, my hatred of the book, I think, transferred onto Apocalypse Now. But I hate, I dislike that for other reasons as well. Okay, yeah. See, I loved Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, more than Apocalypse Now, I love the Godfather trilogy. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Godfather The trilogy. Godfather is, we didn't watch that in class, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just so well shot. Shot, yeah. so well told it's everything about the godfather mm. i love um i also really liked the stepford wives oh it was one I of my other favorite one. films i love that yeah uh in our 70s class and again it's a bit more like stylized a bit more it's like less grounded it has a lot of comments on reality but it's less grounded in reality mm. which is kind of how i feel about kind of apocalypse now and the godfather like they seem a little bit bigger than life mm. and i think that's what i like from 70s films is when I like the opposite of why people like the 70s and they're like, they're so realistic and cynical and human. And I'm like, I like it when they're less realistic. But when they're less realistic, they're still making a commentary on society, exactly. which is fun. And they still utilize the um, artistry of the 70s. Mm-hmm. They're still just as beautiful. Uh, I love the Separate Wives so much too because oh, the so new Separate Wives is so bad. Um, but the old one is is so great and just like... Brilliant. Yeah, it's it has a lot of problems too with like its own depiction of feminism as well. Oh yeah. But it's it's so original and just has so many interesting things to say about I guess materialism and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think I just kind of have no patience for like the tortured protagonist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I don't really like Taxi Driver cuz like you're not supposed to like Travis Bickle, but I have a problem like watching cuz I'm like oh my god, I hate you. Mm-hmm. Like why do I want to sit here and watch you? Mm-hmm. And you know, so I don't really have a patience for kind of protagonists who I'm like, all right. That's understandable. Okay. Yeah. Bye. So a lot of the uh, proto-AMC tortured white guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Where it's like in The Godfather, like, yeah, they're mobsters, mm-hmm. but like, they're depicted in a way. They like, also Cop- Coppola... love each other as family. Yeah, Coppola makes them far more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm totally cool with liking those mobsters. Willoughby, what are your favorites? So I've got a couple. Like, I, um, we've already talked about a, a couple of them. So, like, I, I like Apocalypse Now. Um, I've seen both the Redux and the original. And I like the original. Um, the Redux, I like what the, what it brought, but you can understand why they, like, obviously cut it for time. Um, I've got, we've already said The Graduate, um, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, one that we haven't talked about is American Graffiti, which is George Lucas's uh, big hit film, um, right before Star Wars. Mm. It's the one he did after THX 1138 and before Star Wars. It's about um, these high schoolers on their last day of summer vacation before going to college. 
Um, it stars Ron Howard, Richard Dreyfuss, um, a bunch of people I don't can't remember right now. Um, Harrison Ford is in it as like a minor villain of the care of the series, of, not of the series of the characters. Um, he kind of plays like the new driver in town, trying to see who to race everybody, to see that he's the best. Um, he wears a cowboy hat. It's he's ridiculous. Um, he's put on he puts on like a ridiculous southern accent too. He's like, where can I find John? And it's like. Harrison Ford, what are you doing? Um, but I like it because it's kind of like it's this. Um, it's ironically, it's it's a movie it, from the seventies about the sixties. It's about George Lucas's high school um, times growing up, and he basically put himself in the two characters of Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, Ron Howard's Ron Howard's character uh, is going to go off to college. Richard Dreyfuss's character doesn't know if he's going to, so it's like kind of their last night to have like to go cruise around town in their cars um, and, like, just have, like, a great time in Modesto, California, like, listening to Wolfman Jack on the radio. Like, the, the soundtrack to that movie is amazing because it's all through the radio. Um, and, like, that's how you hear it is from other cars playing it. So it's great. Um, and it's just, like, this great, like, last hurrah type of movie of teenager years going off into adulthood. It's interesting because I almost don't consider American Graffiti to be a 70s movie because mm -hmm. it has a lot of those optimistic um, attitudes as like we have in the 80s. Mm -hmm. almost. It's like a precursor to those kind of what films almost. What year did almost. it come out? Uh, 74. Mm. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Because it's very optimistic and nostalgic and you see a lot of that in the 80s with Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which... yeah it doesn't feel like an, a nor it doesn't feel like a stereotypical new Hollywood film. Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I can, I'd consider it to be one because mm -hmm. it's even though it bucks the trend of like dark endings and whatnot, yeah, like, it still has like a lot of drama to it and a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of things, a lot of things about teenagers that you didn't see before in movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is smack dab in the middle of the seventies. Yes, so. it is. And yeah, also, true. Um, it's really funny to watch Superbad in as like a gross out satire, not satire, but like a really like the Seth Rogen version of American Graffiti because that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Um. So, but that's I I I mean I just like it. American Graffiti because it's so well filmed and well edited and the themes are great. Um, a couple of the other ones, uh, Taxi Driver I liked very much. Um, Godfather we already talked about. Pull, let me pull up a list real quick of other movies that I liked. Uh, so we've got um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which kind of goes into See, that's not a new blockbuster. I don't think that's a new Hollywood film. No. That's, that's kind of a blockbuster That's late film. 70s yeah, blockbuster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's not New Hollywood. Can I this list? Yeah, sure. Um, while HT's looking at the list, I just wanted to talk about, I think 70s also gave us some of the best, like, actors and actresses and mm. performances. So obviously, like, directors kind of became stars in and of themselves. But I think the actual stars of the films are still fantastic. You know, you have your De Niro's, Pacino's, mm. Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford. Um I think one of the best of all time in the 70s is Faye Dunaway, She's by far. Amazing. We have Bonnie and Clyde Network. Um, one of the her. other ones, movies I wanted to mention that I think she's brilliant in is Chinatown. Mm, yes. I love Chinatown. I was actually going to mention Chinatown as being one of my favorites as well. I think well. Chinatown is brilliant. Mm -hmm. the, I love it so much. The reveal of her character <sighs> is so, so stunningly good. well done. The character, the villain of the film is mm -hmm. so villainous yeah. and like just awful. And I have, I have weakness for noirs, too, so Chinatown was my favorite kind of neo-noir. It had a really complex but just, like, 
it made sense as the as the plot, like the whole the plot. The, unlike Parallax View, made sense. It made sense. It was what? about you know water in California, and there's always been sort of um, de- not enough water, depletion of water in California. So there's like a fight for this territory essentially. And I love Chinatown. I love the kind of iconic lines. I love the the reveals, the twists, and just Jack Nicholson is amazing film. in it. Yeah. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, have either of you seen One Flew, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I have. I haven't. It is a great film. Yeah, I want to see it. So it's definitely good. on my list. It's yeah. definitely a great 70s film because yeah. it kind of, it's about, you know, the underside, the people we don't want to talk about, you know, people in psychiatric care and um, Jack Nicholson doesn't think he's crazy and Nurse Ratchet is like an iconic like villain and the whole like, the whole idea of the whole, like the whole book and the whole movie it's great. Um, I like it a lot. It's a lot more emotional and um, uh, connective than like other seventies movies are. You have an anti-hero, but he's not as gritty and kind of subversive. He's very as, charming. Yeah, he's very charming, and I connect a lot more with the characters in, all, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I feel I feel like it's more of a classic Hollywood type of story, but because it's in the seventies and, and it's like told in the specific, more I don't know, subversive ways. Like it's like. I'd say say subversive. Yeah, it's it's a great film. I I really love it and emotionally connect with it. So it's great. I won't I won't say it's heartbreaking, but it's a little heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, fair mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah. End up being mm-hmm. so. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I feel like we do have plenty more to say about the seventies, but uh, yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Just that they're just a bunch of classic movies that everyone should mm-hmm. be watching because. It, it really informs us on how we like w- look at movies now mm-hmm. or make movies now because it's like the new Hollywood is still like in- influencing cinema today. Mm-hmm. And we've actually talked a little bit about this before, but we might even see another resurgence in like subversive or new Hollywood type of movies where they break genres and break narrative um, structure mm-hmm. um, because we're, we had that with. Um, the breaking of the classic Hollywood system um, with New Hollywood, and have kind of have a very studio system like with the blockbusters, yeah, environment now. So we might see that again. Who knows? Um, yeah. It would be very welcome, I think. I mean, as much as we love the superhero genre and the blockbusters that we have, and the lega sequels, it is nice to have variety and just original. There's stories definitely again. a fatigue setting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that was that's another thing is a lot of these stories, even though they, they may be based on books, but like in terms of movies, like they're very original, mm-hmm. and we don't and like they're not based they're not sequels to things they're they're not like remakes or some of the you know some of them are but they're not there may be remakes of older older movies, um, uh, but like overall like these are like like taxi drivers like quintessential like original movie mm-hmm. so did I, do you guys know that i wrote my thesis on a 70s film you did i think i know yeah is Which, it 1776 i wrote my undergrad thesis on the movie 1776 you did i did and which is very much not a new hollywood film. it came out in the mm-hmm. early 70s i think 72 mm-hmm. um it didn't come out in 1976 it did not oh, they missed such an opportunity um <laughs> um and uh, the musical on Broadway came out in 68, and it won, like, Best Musical at the Tonys and the Drama Desk Awards, and it was super successful, and the movie was a complete flop. 
It completely failed. Wow. And it had, like, the original Broadway cast and the director and the writer, like, the whole team came on for the movie, and the movie just completely failed. Hmm. And so my thesis was kind of on why it failed, even though its themes are entirely new Hollywood themes. Mm -hmm. Basically, my thesis is broken down into three chapters, um, taking elements from the 70s and 60s and applying them to the film 1776, so mm-hmm. I have, like, my first segment's on the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. my second segment's on civil rights, and then my last segment's on the me generation, mm-hmm. and I talk about how the film basically parallels those three aspects of the 60s and 70s, but in 1776, and how, like, it's a completely liberal film. The whole cast and crew hated Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, very liberal, and very, it was, like, cynical, but yet had its hopefulness, mm-hmm. and I talked about how it was, like, thematically completely relevant to the 70s but why it didn't actually succeed as a movie but it succeeded on broadway was it because it was made as a traditional just like classic hollywood film but it was released basically at the wrong time basically i mean so i mean broadway and movies are obviously very very different environments Mm -hmm. broadway in general is more you know privileged hopeful little campier and so a musical like this definitely fits but also, it's a musical. Mm. So a musical in the midst of New Hollywood isn't going to translate it's gonna in the first place. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. yeah. And despite it having, like, all these themes that probably the rebellious people of the 70s could relate to, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, some musical about the founding fathers. And, like, you know, they're, like, they're angry at the country right now. They're angry for Vietnam. They're angry at their government. Why do they want to watch a film celebrating the founding of the, the country? birth of the yeah. country? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, there's some really great aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... That was my thesis, so and also, 70s man. here we are in 2016 with another musical about the Founding Fathers. Yep. Good old Hamilton. Tiny musical. Probably haven't heard of it. Yeah. No, it's pretty, pretty, pretty awful. Yeah, probably pretty easy to get tickets. I don't know. Yeah. Are you yeah. going to see it this uh, Tuesday? Yeah, so. totally easy. I haven't mm-hmm. been sitting on these tickets for like almost a year. No, <laughs> of course not. What are you talking about? All right. So yeah. So yeah, that was, that's our basically roundtable discussion of our favorite 70s movies. Yeah. I feel like we only scratched the surface, we honestly. Really did. But um, I, we all have a great appreciation for them. It's almost like you could take a class on this. Yeah. What? Almost <laughs> like you could. <laughs> we did. Yeah. If you're interested in them, you know, maybe contact Professor Eric Dussera from American University because he knows plenty about these movies. And he's the best. He was yeah. a great professor for this class. Mm-hmm. A lot of love for these films. Mm-hmm. We really learned a lot from him. So just want to mm-hmm. give a shout out to him. Yeah. Again. Not only did he bring us together, but he taught us a lot. Agreed. Shout out to Professor Eric Dusser. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. So, um, Anya, as our <laughs> special guest here today, why don't you start us off? Um, well, I think it's pretty obvious um, what I really like, and that is being back on the east coast with you guys Yay! um i love spending time with you guys i've missed you like i said it feels natural um and i like all the fun adventures we've had we went to woodrow wilson's house yesterday morning which was actually really cool mm-hmm. we saw wiener which we talked about which i loved um but mostly i'm just really happy to be back over here i have a real affinity for the east coast i'm a california girl born and raised um but i just feel so much more I don't want to say at home on the East Coast, but I have a really big soft spot for the East Coast. I could easily move back here permanently. Maybe one day. Um, but I just love how familiar D.C. still is to me. Like, I feel like I still just, it was such a natural fit. I come back here and I was like, it's like I had never been gone. So I'm just really happy to be back here. 
back with you guys. Mm-hmm. So, just loving this vacation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I really like. Yeah. Thank you, Anya. You're welcome. All right, Willoughby, what is your really like? For this, um, week? this is something from a couple of weeks ago because we didn't have an episode last week mm-hmm. and because of the tragedy in Orlando. But this is about um, 360-degree cameras. I recently got the chance to play with one of them. It's the coolest thing. You know, we're talking. We talk about film a lot on the on the on the show, but like 360-degree film is something completely different because like you can pick and choose what you're going to look at. You know, it's like, it's all about, you know, the virtual reality of it all. Um, it, you know, it's changing the way of how people like will watch things. Um, you can, they've released like presidential debates in 360. Um, I think Nicole Kidman is starring in a short film that was just released over the weekend in 360 degrees. Like, and it's so incredible because it's like, if you think about it with cameras, there's always, it's always pointed in one direction and it always cuts to a different camera angle mm-hmm. this completely changes that it's always looking at every angle always like there's no there's no spot where the camera isn't able to, to point itself at which is incredible so like if you're looking at like what you know there, there's there's a video i posted on facebook of me throwing a big inflatable donut while my friend is recording it and then there's an airplane going over our heads then you could watch all three at different like different views of it like you can watch me throw the donut and then replay it and watch my friend hold the camera or you can replay it and watch the airplane go overhead so like it's this weird brand new thing that the lumiere brothers a hundred years ago could never have thought of (laughs) um you know they they were like oh we're gonna put a camera in front of a train and scare a bunch of people in the theater well now it's like you can look into the screen at any point and see everything that's going on like virtual reality is like so this cool. weird brand new thing that virtual reality is the future yes um so no, i'm happy about that it's a little it's a little iffy um but i really i love what you like there's so many possibilities of like making movies like just the fact that you know you the actors always have to be acting like there's because they're always on camera so it's like it's gotta be a lot more realistic what was that film that just came out that was from the point of view of the character? Hardcore Henry. Hardcore Henry. I feel like that movie is proof that like we have we are not we're not ready for virtual reality. Yeah. Well, that wasn't really virtual reality. It was just yeah. like like it was first person first shooter. Point of view, yeah. but like it felt like virtual reality because it felt like you were him. Yeah. Like, you were seeing it from his point of view. Yeah. And the failure of that movie. But I think that with virtual reality, as it, it as if you can choose where you're looking instead of having the camera be one point. Yeah, I feel like that would work better for other elements, maybe not necessarily movies. I yeah. think the the approach they took with Hardcore Henry was the problem because also agreed hardcore and it was just like a little bit yeah. too much of aggressively throwing things at your senses what's the new um tv series oh the new twilight zone tv that's going to be like a choose your own adventure oh i heard about that yeah that's that really cool. going to yeah. be like a it's like a, it's like those choose your own adventure books that you read as a kid <laughs> yeah. but now they're going to do it with twilight zone so it's like choose mm-hmm. your own twilight zone adventure <laughs> but it's going to be a tv show mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how that'll work. Technology yeah. is wonder, just... I wonder if I can do that town called Willoughby. What? Maybe. Although that episode is pretty dark because Willoughby's purgatory. I mean, they're all pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So yeah, no, um, 360 degree cameras, virtual reality, that whole thing is what I'm really, really liking right now. And you finished uh, reading Ready Player One recently, I right? did, which is all about this, in the future, basically everyone is always in virtual reality all the time and mm-hmm. society has crumbled outside of it. And it's like this cool like video game adventure tale of a guy of a guy trying to like 
basically it's like Willy Wonka where he's he tries to get the golden ticket to win the fortune of the, the, the late creator of the Oasis, which is the virtual reality platform that everyone uses. Yeah, it's all about virtual reality and 80s pop culture obsession. Mm-hmm. So. And also the difference between virtual reality and real reality. Yeah, I wish there was more of an emphasis on that last point. Yeah, but, you know. me too. But I, th- but I think, like, overall it was pretty fun. Like, I mm-hmm. caught all the references. Mm-hmm. Huh. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I caught some of them. I mean, I, I like 80s movies, but at the same time there's, like, a big gap in my pop culture knowledge. I feel like everyone has one of those, though. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for sure. All right, HD, what's your really, really liking this week? All right, um, I'm going to say I really like movie marathons. Yeah. We... Um, like Willoughby said, or Anya said at the beginning of the episode, we all did like a big, how long was our movie marathon? Like six hour? Six, eight hours. Six hour movie marathon. And I haven't done one of those since I was in college. We conked out at like 1 or 2 a.m. And I realized, yeah, 2.30. We started around six. No, we started around five. Yeah. Five, like 30, 5.30, But I started nodding off at like 1 a.m. And I was like, I'm getting so old. I cannot do these anymore. You laughed another hour yeah. and a half. I did. Like, we had watched all Oscar nomination, all Oscar nominated movies like four years ago mm-hmm. in one one day. That was That's pretty intense. One of them being The Tree of Life, which was hard That was to the get last through. one we did. And it, yeah. basically, it took basically, like we didn't stay awake for that. Yeah. It was like a, a damn screensaver. Mm-hmm. That's a, the joke HC makes is that I, it's a screensaver. Yeah, I made a pretty fun joke. Mm-hmm. You know, Malik. <laughs> Yeah. But um, we watched, uh, like, we watched Anya's movies, which were Three Musketeers and The Fall. I really loved The Fall, which was a movie I actually expected to, to love because I've seen a lot of it on Tumblr. And every time I see it, I'm like, I think this would be my favorite movie, but I haven't seen it yet. And it was just as beautiful and heartbreaking and as poignant as I expected it to I be. I love that film. My God, the cinematography is stunning. And now I want to do a tour of all the countries in the fall. Because there's no CGI. There is no CGI in this film. And it's filmed across like 30 countries. Yeah, like said. 20. 20 countries. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's just a feat of movie magic. Um, and we watched my... We both had two movies that we were all... All had two movies we were going to show. But Willoughby and I only showed one of ours. Um, I showed The Girl Who Left Through Time, which uh, is such a lovely, sweet movie. And I hadn't seen it since I think I last saw it in high school. And it really just like touched my heart again. It's so beautiful. It's all about like nostalgia in Japan and just kind of this sort of lost time in between graduating high school and moving on to the real life and kind of appreciating those memories. But it's not actually about that. It's about this girl who um, accidentally stumbles upon the power to time travel um, by actually legitimately leaping through and choosing where she can go through, go to. And she basically uses this power to do stupid things like pass a test, sleep longer, eat her favorite dinner meal again, or like karaoke for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's fun and it's silly and it's bittersweet. And I, I love it just as much as I used to. Um, and the movie that Willoughby showed was Witness, which is a Harrison Ford movie I had never actually heard of before. And I don't know how I hadn't <laughs> heard of it. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. I was shocked. I never heard of this movie. Like, I don't know what this movie is. But it, it, was, it didn't go in the direction I expected. It's about um, Harrison Ford plays a cop who is solving this murder of, a co- of another cop. And the only witness was an Amish boy who has to go back to his society, his community, and 
Harrison Ford ends up taking refuge on this Amish community and kind of becomes a love story. And you're like, this does not go where I expected to, but it's okay. And it has a terrible score. <laughs> terrible score, but everything else oh my in God. the movie was great. The score was almost distracting from the movie. Yeah. Actually, no, it wasn't almost. It was distracting. It's like very synthy and not at all in keeping with Amish traditions. Um, but I had a lot of fun with both of you guys. I ate so much food. <laughs> so much food. Yeah. We didn't even eat the popcorn that I bought for Oof. this trip. For this little like there was marathon. chips and dip and mm-hmm. hamburgers and we kind of gorged yeah. ourselves on those. Yeah. Oops. But you know, whatever it was delicious. And then, we did it right. And then this morning we made crepes. We did. It was delicious. So food and movies. Yeah. We can really movies. beat that. Yep. Food movie friendships. <gasps> I love it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, guys, if you guys have any thoughts on '70s movies, '70s culture, what some of your favorite movies from the 70s are, or if you have any thoughts on living on the East Coast or kind of having a home away from home, uh, and if you have any thoughts on technology, virtual reality, 363 cameras, and also some of your favorite movie marathons that you've ever done, you should definitely come tell us, come chat with us about it, and where can they do that, Willoughby? Well, you could search for us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. We have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music. Woohoo! Great. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. I am at HTrenBui on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Okay. This is a great episode, guys. Woohoo! Thank you so much for joining us. All right, bye guys. Bye. Bye.